Good morning, brothers and sisters. <laughs> it is a distinct privilege and joy for me uh, to be here to open God's word with you. Um, what you need to know about me, first and foremost, is that I am a great sinner saved by a greater grace. And that is what we are here to celebrate. Uh, I am married to my beautiful wife of 18 years. We do have 12 children. Um, and in 2019, as Blake said, uh, we were sent by GCV to Uganda, um, where we serve with Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries. And uh, at present, I serve as the principal of Shepherd's Training College there, where we're training pastors. I also serve as one of the elders of our church, Community Bible Church of Kuba Mitwe. And so I bring you greetings. From the brothers and sisters in Uganda, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and specifically from uh, your missionaries, uh, Shannon and Danielle Hurley, who are also supported by Grace Church of the Valley. Uh, they were supported by GCV long before GCV sent us, um, so I bring you greetings from them. Today, we have the opportunity to look at God's Word in 2 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. As you turn there, let me give you a little bit of background on 2 Timothy. Paul is writing this as he's imprisoned in Rome. He's near the end of his life. And it's a personal letter. This is a letter written to Timothy, the young pastor, from Paul, the older pastor. And even though it's personal, it's applicable to the entire church. How do we know this? Because the last word of the book actually says, grace be with you, and it's plural, y'all. Grace be with all of you. So... Paul is going to write some specific things to Timothy, but his audience in mind is a little bit broader. Um, Timothy is probably serving in Ephesus at this time when he receives this letter. And Paul writes this about 15 years after he had stayed three years in Ephesus. So if you remember the book of Acts in Acts chapter 20, Paul had been with the Ephesian church for about three years, planting, working there, building up the church, and then he leaves and uh, this letter in 2 Timothy is written about 15 years after that. And the theme of 2 Timothy is to stay on mission amid challenges. Stay on mission amid challenges. Well, what kind of challenges? Timmy, Timothy, <laughs> Timmy, <laughs> has internal challenges. Uh, he, he might be ashamed of the gospel because Paul admonishes him a couple times. Don't be ashamed of me or ashamed of the gospel. He has external challenges. There's false teaching that's threatening the church, the pillar and the buttress of truth. Now imagine someone that has had a significant impact on your personal spiritual life. Maybe a pastor or a mentor, maybe a parent, and you receive a letter from him that says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. These are last words. This is what Paul is giving to Timothy, his last words, similar to Think of uh, other places in the Bible where there are last words, like Joshua 24. Joshua says, um, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? And then in, uh, like in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is about to die. He's passing the kind of the baton to Solomon. And he says, uh, show yourself a man. Follow the commandments of the Lord. He gives these like strong admonitions. You see, when people are about to die, they say things that they think are very important. There's a clarity of perspective that comes frequently when someone stands on the shores of eternity. And this is what we have in 2 Timothy. What then does Paul focus on? 
Well, he focuses on Timothy's mission, his mission, the mission of your life. And the letter's not too long, but today I want to focus our attention on part of the mission that Paul commands Timothy to give his life to, which also applies to us. So the text is 2 Timothy chapter 1. We will start in verse 13, and we will read down to chapter 2, verse 2. So starting in 2 Timothy 1, 13. It is written, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what a privilege it is to open your word together and to receive from your perfect treasure of heavenly wisdom. Would you teach us good judgment, O Lord, for we believe in your commandments. Give us understanding that we might fear your name and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ today. Amen. In this passage, the Christian's mission may be summarized in four words. And if you're a note taker, this is the outline. Here are the four words. Get, guard, give, and grace. Get the gospel, guard the gospel, give the gospel by the grace of the gospel. Get, guard, give, grace. That's where we're headed. So first, look down at verse 13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Get the gospel. What does this command mean? Well, it presents at least at least three truths to our minds. First of all, a definite set of sound words exists. It exists. There is a definite body of teaching that Paul expects Timothy to possess. We could call this doctrine. In other places, that's how Paul refers to it. We could also call this the tenets of the faith. What do you believe? The content of what you believe. That exists. Some people say, oh, all we need is the Bible. We don't want any doctrine. But that's not what Paul says. He says, follow this pattern of sound words. A definite set of doctrine exists. Secondly, a pattern, the word pattern suggests that the sound words previously existed in an organized form and that they must be publicly taught and especially repeated. That's what patterns do. They repeat, right? My mother is a quilter. Frequently, she'll use a pattern to ensure that the pieces of cloth that she is cutting are all the exact same size, right? This is not a time for creativity. Use the pattern. 
Follow the pattern, right? There certainly are times for creative expression, but not with the sound words entrusted to us. Don't get creative with the doctrine entrusted to the church. Repeat it. Repeat it. Thirdly, the third truth that this verse presents to us is this. The content itself, when he says follow the pattern of sound words, the content itself requires something of those agreeing to them, namely to follow. The pattern lays an ethical requirement upon us. So let me give you some synonyms for follow. The NASB says retain. That's a good translation. Follow, retain, keep it, get it, possess it, hold it. All of this is in contrast to unsound or unhealthy words, which Paul also refers to. And also with, uh, he also contrasts it with irreverent babble. If you just look over on the page, chapter 2, verse 16, he says, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So that's the contrast. So how do we get this, this pattern of sound words? How do we get it? Well, it's clear from preachers and teachers. The audible teaching of the, in the body of Christ is the normal means by which God builds up the church. He says here, that you have heard from me. That's how Timothy got it, and that's how we get it, through the audible teaching of God's word. But Timothy also heard it from somebody else. If you look a little bit farther up in the passage, in verse 5, it says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So he's heard it from his grandmother, he's heard it from his mother, he's heard it from Paul. But behind those people is something more permanent and power, powerful from which Timothy has received the pattern of sound words. If you just turn one page over, you'll see it. In chapter 3, Verse 14 says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, that's the pattern of sound words, and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, that's mom and grandma and me, Paul, that's what he's saying, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is telling Timothy, get the biblical gospel. The sacred writings that he's referring to are scripture. In fact, the next verse is a very famous verse on scripture, which I hope you're familiar with. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Get the gospel Get it, possess it, own it, hold it. You know, through church history, many pastors have taken this so seriously that they have literally developed specific patterns of sound words that they have taught to their, their congregations, right? Typically, they might be uh, passages from the Bible like the Lord's Prayer, but it also has included like things like the Apostles' Creed or singing the Psalms or even catechisms. You know, some of that, can be very dead traditionalism. We do this because we have always done this. But sometimes it can be actually a life rich, uh, a rich life-giving tradition of sound words because they summarize the teachings of the Bible. One great example of this is the Heidelberg 
Catechism, question one, which we've been working on in my house uh, recently, which says this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's question one. We love it. I'm not suggesting that we all need to go out and start learning catechisms. But there's a good reason that Christian parents and pastors have been using catechisms for about 500 years. The oldest one that I could find was Luther's Shorter Catechism in 1529. All right, there's a good reason. Get the gospel. Retain the pattern of sound words. Possess it. Own it. Love it. This is the first part of the Christian's mission. Get the gospel. But once we have it, it's not enough. It's not enough. We must guard it. If you remember Acts 20 and Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders when he's leaving them, he says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is the church where Timothy serves. Just imagine if GCV got a letter, dear elders, your church members are going to bring false teaching into your church and mess it up. Ooh, that's sobering. That's sobering, right? So once we have it, it's not enough. We have to guard it. We must guard the gospel. This is point two. Look down at verse 14. He says this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul is telling Timothy, pay attention to your fences. Protect your asset. You have been entrusted with a good gospel deposit. Now you have to take care of it. Like Adam in the garden was commanded, when God put Adam in the garden in Genesis chapter two, for, uh, chapter 2, verse 15, he gave Adam a specific purpose, to work it and to keep it. That word keep is actually the same word. Watch, guard, keep, protect it. Guard this good deposit. Or you could say guard the pattern of sound words. Or up further in verse eight, it says, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. The testimony, guard the testimony. Guard the pattern of sound words. Guard the good deposit. You see, it's there. We can fail to guard this deposit in many different ways. When I was just, when I had just finished Bible college, uh, I was assigned to my first post in ministry, which was in youth ministry. And uh, it was a joy to serve in youth ministry. We went there uh, excited to get busy in the, in the work of the Lord. Well, we got, we got to where we were going. We started ministry. And uh, a month or two later, I got a phone call from my pastor, the pastor of the church that we were previously members of before we had moved to start in ministry. And this pastor was, was a dear friend of mine. Uh, we had been members at his church, at the, that particular church, for a couple of years. And um, uh, he was also actually the, the head of the program at the Bible college that I went to. So I knew him really well. In fact, we had actually had the opportunity to, to travel around um, 
some different places and visit missionaries together. And he, he had had meals in our home and I had had meals in his home. So this was a dear brother, really my mentor, someone that I, I learned a lot about discipleship uh, from this brother. And he calls me about a month or two after I start my first ministry position. And he says, John Paul, I need to talk to you. I said, hey, how's it going? Well, he says, you know, I've, I need to confess some sin. I've been looking at pornography and fornicating with some women and I've resigned from the church and from the Bible college. I'm done. It's like a punch in the stomach, right? This was my guy. This was my mentor. This was, the, this was, I was following him as he was following Christ. He was that kind of mentor to me. And the effect of that was that everything I learned from him, I immediately began to question because his integrity was in question. Is what you taught me true? All that stuff? I'm not sure I believe you anymore, right? You see, through his moral failure, he failed to guard the gospel. When we fail to guard the gospel, Young sheep are discouraged. The gospel is discredited. The elders and the members of the church are responsible to guard the good deposit. Similar to what Paul reminds the Corinthians, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy or found faithful. Watch out, brothers and sisters. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's you. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The lies of the devil are his flaming darts, which we can only extinguish by the shield of faith. Right? You must guard the good deposit. Well, how do we do that practically? How do we guard the good deposit? If you glance over church history... How have Christians tried to guard the gospel? Well, there are many different ways that they've done it, but a couple of kind of the obvious ones are fight or flight, right? Sometimes the church says, oh, the culture is so bad. Everything is so bad. We need to be monks. Let's go out to the desert and build a a monastery with big walls, right? And we're going to be safe in here. We're going to protect. We're going to protect. We're going to protect, right? Turns into a legalistic commune. And the gospel dies. Or sometimes the church says, no, we need to militarize. Where's the stockpile? Let's, let's fight for Jesus. Take up arms, men. My friend, the Crusades are one of the most shameful chapters in church history. No, this is not how we guard the gospel. It says here, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That is how we guard the gospel. The arm of flesh will fail you, but the the Lord himself will never fail you. But what if we suffer? What if we suffer? Prepare for suffering. That's the message, consistent message through the New Testament. Believers, prepare for suffering. We follow a suffering Savior. In fact, right after the verse that I read, he says here, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's chapter 2, verse 3, right? But how do we guard the gospel? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. That's how we guard the good deposit. We walk by the Spirit, not in the flesh. Do not neglect the ordinary means of sanctifying grace. Don't neglect those. 
What are those ordinary means? Bible reading, prayer, singing gospel truths, showing up in church on Sunday morning, being committed to the local church. So let me give you some practical suggestions on how to guard the gospel. Personally, you need to fill up your heart and your mind with the Bible. Fill it up constantly. Proverbs, one of my favorite verses, says, cease to hear instruction and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Don't stop listening to the Bible, whatever you do. You will wander away. You will drift into ungodliness. So, some practical suggestions. Fill up your heart and mind with the Bible. Husbands and wives, fill up your homes with the Bible and gospel songs. But beware, not all Christian music is created equal. Please ask Pastor Blake for wisdom on that. Right? Be discerning. But our faith is a singing faith. Our faith is a singing faith. And songs often imprint truths on our hearts long after you forget the messages of this sermon or other sermons. Church members, if you see something questionable in the life of a fellow member, lovingly ask about it. Help each other follow Jesus. If your fellow member comes to you and asks you something about your personal life, don't be defensive, but by God's grace, ask for discernment. If you struggle with lust, unforgiveness, discontentment, laziness, a sharp tongue, James chapter five tells us, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We need to help each other honor the Lord, being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave us, right? This level of fellowship, whew, takes a good deal of Christian maturity and love. It's not easy, it's not easy. But this is what God expects of us. And this is how we guard the gospel. Elders and pastors should be filling up the church with faithful and frequent teaching and preaching from the Bible. And in our church, they do. Praise the Lord. So, this is the second part of the mission, guard the gospel. First, get the gospel. Second, guard the gospel. Before we go to the next step, look down in uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 15. He, Paul gives a negative and a positive example. He lists these guys. He says, Figilus and Hermogenes, ah, they turned away from me. But he says, Onesiphorus, he refreshed me. He was hospitable. He sought me out. What is this, what's this about? Well, he gives these negative and positive examples. And here's the quick, the quick takeaway from these. Our loyalty to God's people is one test of the genuineness of our faith in Christ. Let me say that again. Our loyalty to God's people is one test of the genuineness of our faith in Christ. You can also see this in 1 John 2.19. You see, when God saves his people, he saves them into a family. And our love for Christ as the head of the body also means that we are to be devoted in loyal love to his body as well. In fact, abandoning, faithfully gathering with God's people in person is one of the first and most obvious signs of spiritual immaturity and spiritual sickness. So, get the gospel, guard the gospel. Get the gospel, guard the gospel. Step three, point three on the Christian's mission. Here it is. Give the gospel. Give the gospel. Look down in chapter two, verse two. It says this. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, entrust what? 
Well, he says right here, entrust what you have heard from me. That's the pattern of sound words. That's the good deposit. That's the testimony about our Lord. It's the same thing, right? He's referring to the same thing. That's what should be entrusted. Entrust what we have received. Don't invent new ideas. Repeat the pattern. There's no need to reformulate or to reinvent. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The attributes of God, the definition of sin, the person and work of Christ, what we must believe about God and what God requires of us has not changed. That's what should be entrusted. What must be entrusted is the gospel in its fullest sense. In its fullest sense. The pattern of sound words, again, the good deposit, the testimony about our Lord. That's what he's talking about. Well, entrust it to whom? Well, he tells us. And trust two faithful men. The recipients of Christian discipleship are to be selected on the basis of faithfulness. That's the criteria. So, I've heard since we've been back this summer about uh, spiritual leadership training, SLT. And that it's happening in this church. Pastor Andy has started this program, the SLT. Raise your hand if you're a part of that. Anybody here? Yeah, I've heard a lot of really encouraging things about that ministry. I've also heard that if you're in that uh, that discipleship program, if you have two unexcused absences, you're out. There's a standard. Well, that just seems kind of strict. That just seems a little hard-nosed, doesn't it? Well, why would that be there? Why would that be there? See, that attendance requirement is just a small expression of this requirement that Timothy has to train faithful men. At STC, the college that I lead, we have a code of conduct. We have attendance requirements. If you get straight A's in our classes, but you are sleeping with the girls in the youth group, we won't train you. You're out. Why? Because of this. Train faithful men. Well, Entrust faithful men to what end? To what end? It's there in the verse. So that these faithful men who have been trained will teach others. Now specifically, obviously, Paul here means to instruct Timothy to raise up spiritual leaders. But the application of this is broad, right? All believers are to bear witness to Christ All believers are commanded by Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, right? It's Christ who builds his church, but the normal means by which he does that is through evangelism and discipleship, through his people opening their mouths and talking about Jesus Christ, the Savior, right? The normal means of building up the church is God's people receiving, preaching, and teaching. It's not marketing campaigns, It's not brand building. It's not selling indulgences or in Uganda where I live. It's not selling holy rice that's going to build up the church. No. Preaching and teaching. Opening our mouths and speaking about the Savior who lived and who died and who has risen again. Right? That's how God builds up his church. It's through what the world views as foolish and weak that God accomplishes his eternal purposes. So ask yourself, do I have an interest in helping others follow Jesus? Am I praying for the spiritual growth of others? Are my conversations encouraging others to greater faithfulness to Christ? Are you giving the gospel? 
Well, let's look back here and see in what context is Paul talking about. He says this in verse two, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Quick application here. Religious secrecy is not a part of true Christianity. He does this in the presence of many witnesses. Secret societies, private rituals, incantations, confidential rites, no. All of that is cultish. It's false. That's not the true gospel. That's not the good deposit. God's people must guard the gospel, get the gospel, guard the gospel, give the gospel. In what manner? By open statement of the truth. That's how we give the gospel, right? What are some ways that a church gives the gospel? Well, there are many, many ways that a church gives the gospel. Supporting, uh, I mean, faithful preaching and teaching is obviously one. Counseling, which is where the gospel is applied to life's particular problems. Um, Singing the gospel to one another, of course. Um, But also supporting faithful preaching and teaching and pastors and missionaries. I'm so encouraged to hear about the New Zealand trip. I haven't haven't got a report, but I want one. I want to know what happened because we were praying for these guys as they went to New Zealand and opened God's word and shared Christ with people. Um, But at, at this moment, I'd like to kind of take an extended illustration Um, and share how Grace Church of the Valley actually sent myself and my family to the mission field in 2019. We're long-term missionaries. We're there indefinitely. The Lord can move us if he wants, but the plan is to give our lives to making disciples in central Uganda there. And I want to share this this story for two reasons. One, to illustrate one way that a church gives the gospel, which is sending, right, sending. But I also want to encourage you with God's providence and his work to build the church. So, I grew up going to church. Uh, I went on lots of short-term mission trips, but I never really seriously considered being a missionary. Um, When I uh, asked my beautiful, godly wife to marry me, she said, I will marry you on two conditions. Condition number one, we never move to Los Angeles. Condition number two, we never move and be missionaries in Africa. And I said to myself, you are beautiful. Check, check. Yep. Let's go. <laughs> so we got married. Um, we served in ministry for about 10 years. Then in 2016, we came here to Grace Church of the Valley. Uh, we had left a painful church situation where, where I had been a pastor on staff. And most of my work experience and my training had all been in pastoral ministry. But in 2016, my friend Dominic Avila and I resigned from the same church and we moved here to Kingsburg. Dom was hired on staff here at GCV and I started working for Brent Lundy in construction. Leaving full-time ministry was pretty discouraging, I've got to be honest. But the Lord was faithful and taught us to depend on him. I actually told Brent when he hired me, I said, Brent, uh, I, I would love to work for you. I need a job, but I, my heart is really in full-time ministry. And Brent was really merciful and he hired me anyway, even though I was probably going to head down the road. Uh, well, we joined the membership here at GCV which was meeting at Kingsburg High School. And after that, I was invited with Ken Harvey to teach a systematic theology Sunday school class, which was a joy. Um, And in August 2017, Shannon and Danielle Hurley came and Shannon preached. And after church uh, on that Sunday, uh, again, the Harveys invited them over to lunch, hosting missionaries in in their home. And they invited us over too. And so we went over there and we had lunch at the Harvey's house. And that afternoon, our daughter Nina met Danielle Hurley, a real live missionary from Africa. Um, And the Lord planted a desire in Nina's heart to go and visit 
Uganda. Well, not long after that, I started looking for ministry positions, sending out my resume, calling connections. But despite my efforts, nothing was coming up. I looked for months. It was very, very discouraging. Uh, There were no calls. And when I would maybe get a call, there would be some issue like I was just too reformed in my soteriology or something like that. So, okay, that's not going to (laughs) work. But after months of uh, discouragement, we just came to a decision. We love our church. We love this church. We love it. And I really enjoy construction. I work for a good company. Even though I I thought I'd rather be in full-time ministry, there's lots of wonderful opportunities to serve Christ right here. And so... Uh, we decided, let's stay. Let's commit to this church. Let's put our hearts and our minds and see if we can maybe put down some roots and be here. And that was August 2018. Well, around that time, our church was planning a summer mission trip to Uganda. That was to happen in the summer of 2019. And Nina, surprise, really wanted to go. So for her birthday in late October, we wrote her a letter and promised we would take her. I will take you on a mission trip to Uganda the following summer. That's, that would be 2019 when the mission trip was going to happen. So she could meet a real missionary in Africa, Danielle Hurley. Well, a few weeks later, unbeknownst to me, Pastor Scott and two other members of our church here who are on the board at Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries, which is the ministry in Uganda where, where we serve. They're on the board. They're in Uganda for a board meeting. This is November 2018. And uh, they're there for a board meeting and for the opening of the Shepherds Training College. Now, I had no idea what was happening at SOS. I was not paying attention to that at all. But during that board meeting, another missionary that had been serving there on the field resigned from ministry. He needed to go back to Texas and care for the needs of his family. And that brother had faithfully served there by God's grace for about seven years. Losing him was a blow. It was really hard for the ministry. Um, and he, he filled an important role there overseeing the construction. And just to give a scope, our, our campus is uh, it's over 200 acres. We have about 130 buildings right now. So it's, it's a good size operation. There's a lot of stuff going on. And this, this brother was serving and overseeing all that kind of stuff. Um, well, Pastor Scott and the others, they come back to the room that night. They're talking about this. They're like, man, what are we going to do? We've lost one of our key guys here. And for some reason, the Lord knows... Right, he brought me to their minds. So, on November 10th, 2018, Saturday morning, I'm actually at work at Lundy's shop with Luke. I'll never forget it. I'm there, my phone rings. Hello, this is John Paul. Hey, John Paul, this is Pastor Scott in Uganda. How you doing, man? Oh, hi, Pastor Scott. I'm doing great. Hey, John Paul, have you ever thought about being a missionary in Africa? No, Pastor Scott, I've never thought, you need to start praying about that right now. Okay, Pastor Scott, I'll I'll start to pray about that. Okay, I love you, buddy. See you later. People ask about the call. That was the call. (laughs) Right. Well, the next week, Shannon Hurley calls me from Uganda. He asked if we would just come see, come see what's going on. I don't even know where Uganda is. I got to like get out a map. I'm like, what is this place, right? So, so, so we organized and we started thinking about it. We started praying about it. This could be something big. This could be a big life transition. And I realized it's too big for me to make this decision by myself. I've got six kids at the time. I've got a, a big family. This is a huge move. 
Moving like to another house is hard enough. Moving to another state is hard. Moving to another country, I don't even know how to think about that. Right? That's like, I don't So in God's kindness, he provided men around us to talk and pray through this. I called Jeff Warkentine, Ryan Colburn, Peter Thomas, David Morris, Ken Harvey, Shay Thomason, Seth Hansen, a few others, and we started praying. We met on December 6th. We met on December 20th to pray together because these men are committed to getting, guarding, and giving the gospel. So gathered them together. After Christmas, Sarah and I went and visited Uganda. At the end of that trip, Shannon sat us down. He said, hey, I really need someone who can build buildings and teach the Bible. What do you say? I said, hmm. I think I can do that. <laughs> I think I can do that. Well, we came back uh, in January. I met with the GCV elders. And in that meeting, Blake Boys pointedly asked me, do you want to go? You know, we think through all the positives and negatives and blah, blah, blah. And, all and then he just said, do you want to go? And honestly, I wish that I could say that I leaped up on the table and said, yes, I will go preach to the perishing heathen. But I didn't. I was a little afraid and I said, yes, I want to go. <laughs> All right. That was the end of January 2019. We said yes. This church was like a drawn bow and we were the arrow. We raised support in less than a month. In May, we had shipped a container. On July 9th of 2019, David Torres picked us up in his van with Casey Banks' trailer, drove us down to Los Angeles, put us on a plane and said, go into all the nations and make disciples. This church is committed to giving the gospel and I praise God for that. And instead of going on a summer mission trip, Nina got to move to Uganda. <laughs> Right? But all along the way, this body of believers was devoted to sending us to give the gospel. You provided support in dozens of ways, from cleaning our teeth to helping with our taxes. Right? One important way GCV is giving the gospel is by supporting its missionaries. You do a tremendous job of supporting us and keeping us accountable. And I assume that all the other brothers and sisters that you have sent out are receiving the same love. Continue that. Model that for other churches. The support and accountability we have from GCV is an invaluable, is invaluable to the advancement of the gospel. But all of this getting and guarding and giving is the result of one thing. This is point four. It's the result of one thing. God's amazing grace. God's amazing grace. Here's point four. How do we get, guard, and give the gospel? Only by the grace of the gospel. If you're a careful Bible reader, you'll notice that I skipped right over chapter 2, verse 1, which says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know God's amazing gospel grace? Do you know it? Do you know what the center of the gospel is? At the center of the gospel, at the center of this message of good news, is a man, Jesus Christ, who is God. We don't have to go far. Look in chapter 1, verse 10. It tells us about him. It says, our Savior, it tells us of, this is the middle of the verse in chapter 1, verse 10. Who is our Savior, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he has abolished death. He destroyed it. 
Christians can laugh at the days to come because Jesus Christ abolished death. In Christ, death is a door of hope for Christians. Paul says to depart is far better. Let me depart and be with Christ. Now look over in chapter 2, verse 8. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Paul is calling Timothy to remember Christ. This is years into his ministry, right? Don't forget Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The power of God for salvation and living our mission to get the gospel, guard the gospel, and give the gospel is only by the grace of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ who has conquered death, right? No one else conquers death except for Jesus Christ alone. Dependence on the grace of God and Jesus Christ from start to finish is the only way we will have power to live the Christian mission. He even refers to it going through these, going through these uh, other points. If you look closely at verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Hear these in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How do you guard them? By the Holy Spirit. It's the power of God in the gospel, right? And then, he, of course, in giving the gospel, do that, being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God's grace is an inexhaustible resource. When we, rec when we receive grace from God, our perspective on everything changes. We realize our sin more, more deeply. We see it more thoroughly in the light of God's truth, but we also realize God's forgiveness more fully in Jesus Christ. God's grace frees us from the slavery of self-centeredness and self-promotion to count others more significant than ourselves and to look to the interests of others. You remember Denise Holder, her testimony a few weeks ago, what did she say? I'm saved to serve, right? She's saved to serve because she knows the grace of God so she can give her life away until she dies and that's what she wants to do because of God's grace in her, right? If we're to be faithful to get the gospel, guard the gospel, and give the gospel, we'll only do it by the saving grace of the gospel in Jesus Christ, who received the punishment for our sin. He absorbed the wrath of God that was due to us because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Repent and believe in this gospel. How long will you hold out? Christ is calling you to himself. Nothing else can save you. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. Please, I plead with you, do not delay. You are not promised tomorrow. He has the words of eternal life. There's no salvation anywhere else. You can memorize every catechism that's ever been produced and not be saved unless you put your faith in Jesus Christ. If we try to get the gospel, guard the gospel, or give the gospel by our own strength, it's obvious that we've missed the gospel. Our mission is to get the gospel, guard the gospel, give the gospel only by the amazing grace of the gospel.